is claimed that there may be up to 1,600 cases of disappearances on public lands that defy conventional explanation. Men, women, and children who have vanished from national parks, areas surrounding national forests, and even their own homes, never to be seen again. A remarkable number of victims were persons who were familiar with the outdoors, hunters, hikers, and campers. Even those who went into these areas with large groups seemed to vanish into thin air after walking around a corner in the trail or simply stepping off a well-known path. These disappearances seemingly have a long history that ranges as far back as the 1930s. In his series of books, David Politis has pored over these cases from public records and marked a startling number of correlations. Connections that seem to outline a bigger picture that someone or something is responsible for these disappearances. What are the points that connect many of these cases? Why are search and rescue teams unable to find these victims after only hours of their reported disappearances? Could it have something to do with some of North America's largest cave systems? Join the theorists as they check for more than what's on the milk carton in the missing 411 cases. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing, Case File 118, Missing 411. Oh, yeah. That's Braden. That was, uh, I don't don't know what happened here. That's Andrew. And I'm Andrew, yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, we had some major stream issues, and then when it got going, the music ended and no one did anything. That's what happened. Yeah, it's a podcast, feel, not a not a not a video now. show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't wait to get into this week's topic. You know, missing people cases freak the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, so basically, we're going to uh, give a rough overview. We're going to talk about some missing persons cases that are a little creepy and spooky. We're going to c- talk about David Politis' uh, book series, Missing Four One One, and the documentary. Some theories that we think what have happened or what might be taking people. But first, Zell, why don't we plug in the old randomatron and give me uh what do we want? UFO encyclopedia. All right, let's do it. All right. Perfect. All right. This one is called Fuck. Jesse Rostenberg. On the 21st of October, 1954, Miss Jesse Rostenberg and her two young sons were the subjects of a close encounter. The incident occurred at five o'clock in the evening and had been preceded by a feeling of uneasiness throughout the day prior to that. At the time... Miss Rostenberg heard a sound and went outside to investigate. 
she saw a shiny silver disc with a large transparent dome on top of it. In the dome, she could see two entities observing her and received the feeling that the contactee was compassionately motivated. What does that mean? <laughs> compassionately motivated? Okay. Compassionately motivated. This just got interesting. Interesting. Uh, the entities had long blonde hair and wore blue one-piece coveralls and were fairly human in other ways. Miss Rostenberg apparently became somewhat suspended and suffered a missing time experience. Suddenly, the UFO was gone. Miss Rostenberg apparently became fearful and concealed herself and her sons in the house. When they looked again, they saw the object disappearing through trees beyond their farm in Ranton, Staffordshire. She said in a phrase that has been similarly applied by many witnesses, this was something absolutely marvelous. The saddest part to me is that I have never been able to understand the greatness of this thing. Since then, she says she has had great development of ESP. Since that time, she has apparently felt the presence of aliens around her and believed that she has a deeper understanding of people and things. She believes that contacts were implant implanted in her mind and that the aliens are there for her when she needs them. She also believes that some of them live amongst us as humans. Many aspects of her case are mirrored in other well-documented contactee accounts. There are, for example, considerable similarities between this encounter and that of Catherine Howard. An interesting detail is the feeling of unease which preceded the event. Witness Elsie Okinson, for example, reported a sensation earlier in that day of her evening encounter. Researcher Jean-Francois Baudet has made a study of what he describes as a build-up phase preceding abductions in his native Normandy. So there you have it. Some uh, compassionately motivated alien encounters. At least they're nice yeah. about it. Yeah. They're here to help. Here to help. Wow. Compassion. And put stuff in our brains. They're here I for guess. love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a good one. That's a, that comes from Oldie But Goodie, uh, UFO Encyclopedia. You mean it didn't come from the Randomatron? What? Uh, yeah, the Randomatron printed the whole book. Oh, I printed the whole oh, book. Okay. <laughs> okay. It just, okay. I have to put it back in, and then it okay. just shoots it it's, back out. This later. machine <laughs> that makes more sense. You, you can even imagine the shape of this machine. Like it, it's got everything. It's huge. It's, it's like huge. a 3D printer, <laughs> and it's it's in four locations at once. Actually, super strange. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's 3G uh, on 5G network, 3D printing. It's impressive. <laughs> One of a kind. One of a kind. Uh, built, anyways, built for us by compassionately motion motivated aliens. Exactly. Helping the show. Uh, anyways, missing four one one. Who wants to Who wants to start? Should we get into some missing people cases first off, or talk about what it is? Well, what is missing four one one? It's a series of books written by David Politis. Uh, David Politis is a retired detective, uh, and he's he's also known as 
before these quite the Bigfoot advocate. I'm going to say that now. Aren't we all, though? Um, Aren't we all? Yes. Yes. Yes, but we don't um, all head up the North American Bigfoot Search Association. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's a, a very big Bigfoot guy. Now, this collection of missing 411 series documents the an overwhelming occurrence of how many people are going missing in our national parks and how little anyone is doing about tracking it or just even... He, he he seems to think that there's a pattern going on of missing people in these parks. And he ha- there's like seven books in this series that catalog um, all of his, uh, you know, all these missing peoples and similarities and stuff. Uh, and if there's two documentaries out right now, so if you haven't seen those, the first one's uh, Missing 411 and then there's Missing 411, uh, The Hunted. So why don't we get into some of the some of our favorite missing persons cases from this. Do we want to start with the documentary? Well, yeah, let's start. Yeah, let's go with the documentary because there was a couple that they really leaned heavy on in the documentary. All right. Well, let's start with the the underlying main one because that one I think is the least exciting of them. Uh, and this is about little Dior Coons Jr. So him and his parents went up camping uh, in the woods. The In the woods is a... Get used to that because this is... It's, all a, in, lot it's a lot in the woods. <laughs> A lot of in the woods. They go camping. Baby Dior is being a little bit of, he's being a grumpy baby. Uh, Mom and dad are going to go for a walk uh, down to the river. Uh, Baby Dior starts, Dior starts following them. They turn around and say, do you want to come with us or do you want to stay with grandpa? Baby Dior says, I want to stay with grandpa. No, he doesn't. He says, he says, yeah, no, that's that's what they said. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's what he said. Yeah, no. And he turns and walks back to uh, grandpa and then basically vanishes. He's never seen from again. Never seen. So between between the hundred meters, now, or however far, now it wasn't is, far. Everyone says it's not a far distance between where they walking and they sent him back to the camp. So where, where was it? This was in Idaho, right? Yes. What was the? Uh, oh, here it is. Salmon. Is this right? Salmon Chalice National Forest. That sound right? Either way. That's right. That's so, the that's the first one. That's the main. That's pretty much the whole. Seventy percent of the documentary is about the events surrounding this one missing child. Was now, it? Uh, it was Timber Creek Campground near Leodore. Yes, there's know. only there's only one way in and one way out to this campground. So everyone maintains that if someone came and snatched Baby Dior, that they would have heard him come in. Some people, you know, some people believe maybe a cougar scooped him up or an eagle. Uh, has been theorized. Search and rescues came out. They did huge grid patterns looking for them. They never turned up anything looking everywhere. Then it kind of gets weird. Um, like mom and dad don't really want to talk to the media. And this baffles a lot of people because, you know, a lot of times when there's a missing child, everyone wants that media exposure. You want that face plastered everywhere. And mom and dad didn't want to do anything so much so that one of the private investigators who had fronted a $20,000 reward rescinded that offer because of their, they wouldn't do any media to like bring attention to the case. Right. Yeah, like they, they got an offer from Nancy Grace to be on their show, which you know what I mean? Like, I don't, not sure how you could get any bigger than that. No. And it's, and it, go ahead, Zell. I was going to say why. So this little kid, they're camping he, because there was, it was his two parents, the little, little kid, Dion, was it Dion? 
Dior. 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 His grandpa and his two parents and his grandpa had brought a friend with him, right? Yeah, old Isaac. So yeah, fucking from what I got from the docu- from what, what I got from the documentary was this guy. One guy was fishing. He was told his parents about it, and they were going to go. They were. He was going to show them where the fishing spots were. It was like just a hundred, like a hundred yards from the campground. They started walking. He ran back to grandpa. They thought he was with grandpa. Ten minutes later, they come back and they're like, "Where, where is he? And he's gone. He's vanished without a trace." Yeah. So now, other issues with the this I have is like the documentary kind of talks about grandpa having memory issues. Well, he looks. He's he's the grandpa is on oxygen. He doesn't look healthy. He's, no. he's looking real old. Now, what was everyone's thoughts on Isaac? Okay, so this guy Isaac is <laughs> when I, when I first heard like the grandpa brought a friend, I was thinking like this is the guy he's been fishing with his whole life. This is his best buddy from childhood. They're both eighty well, years another, old. Yeah, another elderly man. Like, yeah, that's you. Like, it's your grandpa's friend. You think he'd be an older gentleman? No, this guy. And then in walks old guy, Isaac. This guy was probably thirty, but he looked like he was fifty because he was missing, missing half his teeth. He didn't seem all. He didn't seem normal. Let's say he seemed a little. It's got a weird vibe from this guy during the the first interview in the documentary when they go like the guy they knock on his door and he's like so he looks like he just woke up from like a four day bender. Yeah. No, I, I don't want to talk about don't it. I don't want to talk about, talk about, about anything. I've never seen him before. I didn't he, see him then. He a hundred percent looks like the fucking slideshow you see on crime stoppers. Like, you know what I mean? Like is exactly what you would think when you look at a criminal. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I hate to say it, but yeah, he had a, sta- he had really a stereotype like, face. For a criminal. The only thing he's missing is, you know what I mean? A middle name in his name whenever he talks to anybody. And then you'd be like, that guy's a diddler for sure. Yeah. He, he has a previous sex charge. Now we can, I can't emphasize enough. The, the, Police have no evidence of anything. Um, they've swabbed vehicles. They've checked Isaac's house. They've, you know, they've everyone. There is no sign of him, and that's one of the th- well, one of the connect, one of the many connections of all these missing cases is that there's some of these people just disappear without a trace. Yeah, like they even brought up cadaver dogs and couldn't find anything. Like no scent, anything. And it's not like and they they as soon as he was missed like he went missing within ten minutes they had already called like two phone calls on nine one one so it was yeah like, like they had to they just had to get into cell service is what I heard they just took a trip down the road to try and get a cer- get cell service and the call was made like ASAP yeah. well in the in the documentary it says like she he went down the road the father the senior went down the road to get a signal she had one bar and she ended up getting through and they both got through at separate times so. As far as the investigation go, it seemed like they were, everyone was cooperating with, with police, right? Apparently, there was a little bit of shadiness with the parents, too. Like, there's long history of, you know, arrests and drug abuse. And, like, yeah, and calls about the kids, like, or leaving the kid places and stuff beforehand. But, I mean... I didn't get I didn't get the bad vibe from them. Like, that didn't come across in the documentary. It was weird that they didn't want to... Um, that they didn't want to talk to the media, but like the husband at one point says, he's like, this is all um, like the mom, the, the grandma doing and that he doesn't believe that they're not trying to cover for the grandpa and Isaac. And he said, we'll sort this out. But I mean, I can imagine like, if you think, put yourself in that situation and like your kid's gone missing, I'm sure every scenario is running through your head. Everyone like oh, pretty or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, I, 
at the end of the day, how are you not going to be, you're not going to be, how are you not going to suspect the last person seen with the kid? You know what I mean? Like it yeah. really wasn't that far away. The last person he was traveling back to see was his grandfather and you know, Isaac, like it's how, how are you not in the back of your head going to think something? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now again, they, it's still, still missing. They don't, they haven't found anything of this case. Another one in the documentary, the documentary covers very similar is uh, little Jared. Um, little Jared goes with some friends. Um, I think he was two years old. He was three, three years old. Yeah. And he heads out with friends. Dad sends him with some family friends to go on a hike, um, hiking. He kind of runs ahead on the trail and as they try to catch up, they come around the corner and he's gone. Yeah. And this is the big South trail in, I don't know, Podger Canyon, Cal, uh, Colorado. Does that sound right? Podger? I'm not sure, but this one, uh, this one strikes, strikes me as weird. Cause same thing. Um, you have a s- small child vanishes, uh, very quickly there, you know, it's all hands on deck. They have the dad coming, uh, search and rescue response. They go over everything on that hill. Um, and they can't find him. There's seemingly no trace. Well, and then he was seen by two, this in the document. I just watched the documentary today and he was seen by two other, I think they were fishermen. Fishermen. They, yeah, they were fishing. But they see, they just assumed that he, because he was such a, a little kid, they just assumed he was with his parents. And then they went, they looked back at the river or the creek. And when they looked back, he was gone. So they figured that like he went with his parents. But that, so that was the last time he was ever seen was with these two random guys on the trail. And same thing, vanished without a trace. Yeah. And, um, Zell, when did they, they ended up, they, you know, they sweep, they do the grid pattern. Um, search and rescue is doing their thing and they find nothing. They do numerous, like numerous searches of the, they dredge the river, uh, the hike, the hills, they look everywhere. Um, and they don't find anything. They had like a, a textbook search and rescue for like six days, grid patterns, the whole thing. It's just, mind you, this is really rough terrain. A lot of steep, a lot of boulder fields, boulder fields. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that a little foreshadow. Yeah, we'll get into boulders but later. It was they found nothing, and then yeah, they it didn't, was they didn't find anything until June fourteenth, two thousand and three, which was like three and a half years later. Yeah, three years later, and they and when they did finally find some remains, you know what I mean? It was in an area that was already well like well combed by them before. Like they they were well familiar with this area. Yeah, it was these two guys, yeah, and- Rob Osborne and Gary Watts. They hiked this region a lot and they found this on like the top of like a, what they described as an advanced, like an experienced, think, an experienced hike, like up like steep, like almost vertical rock. Like you'd have to like clam on your, on your hands and knees or all fours to get up. And they're like, there's no way like a three-year-old kid could make it all the way. And not only that, th- there's a net gain of over a thousand feet, right? Way up. Yeah. Like so that's where it gets man. crazy to me. And, and the fact that they now they find some of the clothes, like the pants uh, pulled off and they're inside out as if they'd been pulled off. Yeah. So they found, right. They ended up finding like pants found inside out and they were look, they look like they were like ripped apart, but really it just looked, it was probably like rodents or some shit like ate the pants is what it looked like inside out. Well, that, little holes apparently like, munched all through it. They were like, look like birds were tearing it apart for nesting is what. Yeah. That's what I they saw in the documentary. That's how they described it too. Like, like mice or birds. 
like tore it apart because there was no actual because they, they did all all the forensics and no blood was found. So it wasn't like he was mur- he wasn't it wasn't taken by an animal in those clothes. It looked, well, they looked yeah, like they had been removed. And that's the thing is to re- remember there. Yeah, there's no blood on these clothes. So those clothes, you know, they think it the leading, I guess, guess on this one is that a mountain lion scooped him up. But again, mountain lions don't take off your pants. And they found right? they so, found a single tooth and his cap, like weird stuff. Yeah. And yeah, uh, they found they found a tooth and a fraction of a skull from what I remember, like his cranium, which I made a note. Yeah. I made a note after I watched that because his dad pulled out oh, the, that was weird. the skull in the bag on the and he's like, this is all I have left of my child. And we're like, oh, I was like, oh, oh man, that was, oh, that was terrible. Ooh. Yeah. He's like, and you can see um, where you can see where they had cut out for DNA. Like they did the sound, like you could see like the squares they'd taken out of the small skull. It was, I was like, holy shit. But yeah, three years later found in an area that was widely searched like up a ridiculously steep rocky incline and that went on for about 6.5 miles apparently which no three-year-old in the world could climb on their own uh they talked they even had one of the search and rescue guys on there who who like swears he's like i searched that area yeah. he's like in that my grid pattern he's like i searched there i know i did um, and that's another one of these um, underlying things that um, David Pletus pulls up in a lot of his his cases. Not all of them, but a lot of them that people will be found if they are found. They'll be found back in spots that have been searched. You know, sometimes several times by search and rescue. Let's get into let's get in the last one of the video before we take on some of the books. Um, I think my favorite one from there is uh, two year old Keith Parkins. And the, we're kind of talking about the the kids and the they talk about a lot of the kids in the documentary, but there is there there's more missing people than just kids. Yeah. Uh, they're just always the weirdest ones, especially this one. So this one happened in North Oregon. Keith was playing with his brothers. Uh, the mom called them to come in for dinner. Two boys ran to the house. Keith ran around the barn. Uh, the boys when they got to him, mom, they said, "Where's Keith?" They said, "He's ran around the barn." They went out to get him. And he was nowhere to be found. Gone. Vanished. Vanished. They had 200 search and rescue and people come and volunteer to search for him. They scoured the property. They, they, they started to branch out. They found footprints three miles away that they thought might be his. So three miles away. And um, they found his body eight miles from there. So 12 you know, roughly around 12 miles because it's not a straight line. And he was missing for 19 hours. And they found him alive face down in a field with his hat and his coat beside him. So just 19 hours through the dark, this three-year-old hiked 12 miles in mountainous terrains. Now, it didn't really grasp, it doesn't really hammer it home for me when they just say that. But when they have Les Stroud come out and try to hike the route that the kid does and Les Stroud's going, this is absolutely impossible. He's like, this is going to be hard for me to do, let alone like a three-year-old child. We're talking about Survivor Man here. Survivor Man's in on it. And he's like, hey, this is fucking crazy. You got, you got to take him serious. Was there snow? Was there snow in the ground too? There was some snow, yeah. It was, um, it was cold. It was like, it was sub-zero temperatures. So 19 hours so he, alive. Yeah, 19 found hours. found him alive. Yeah, and they didn't find any footprints or anything for him for like for three miles from 
from the farmhouse. That's where they started seeing tracks, right? So it just that one just blew. It's so creepy because I'm like, what the hell happened to that kid? How did he get so far? Like, I just have a hard time believing that a three-year-old watching a grown man struggle to do it. That I think that's Hammer's home. Watching him struggle and then being like, okay, can I imagine like a three-year-old kid doing this in the middle of the night? Like, absolutely not. That one seems crazy to me. And 19, he just is found alive, face down. And they, <laughs> they have an interview with him. He's an old man now, and he, he like doesn't really remember. He still has the cap, and he still has the jacket. But um, what it, it's I like I know we hear like in in hypothermia situations and stuff like people taking off their clothes to the because they're too hot. So I'm guessing like yeah. little kids might do the same, right? Well, it's called paradoxical undressing, and basically what happens is when you're hitting the late stages of hypothermia, you actually obviously you're going a little bit manic, but at the same time you get this sensation as if your skin's burning, and it's just your first inclination to start stripping down because you feel like you're on fire, basically. Like you're overheating that much. And what a weird uh, like defense mechanism. Your but why would your why would your what's the is there like a reason your body does this? No, it well there is a reason, but it's it's not a good reason. Like your your body, it's not a defense mechanism. It's basically your system's completely shutting down. Like this is this uh, okay. is prevalent in like in fatal uh, situations, right? Like most hypothermia at the late stages. So like so, the last which, thing you do, makes, maybe. Maybe it's your body just trying to end it. (laughs) No, totally. And like that that could be it. And that for me makes the most sense with that, with uh, Jared Adadero, right? That situation where his clothes were found relatively like unharmed other than the pants were kind of pulled apart. But like, remember when you saw his shirt, his shirt didn't even have any holes or tears in it. When you looked at his shoes, his shoes weren't muddy at all, right? It didn't look like he'd been dragged or went through anything. They look brand new. Right. Yeah, that's another so. point they make is like his shoes look, if he was dragged by a lion up the mountain f- frontwards, it would be full of scuffs. If it was backwards, they probably would have got ripped off and you would see like the scuffs. And yeah, they look, the one, they look pristine. The one thing I was thinking about that though, like the kid was three years old. So what is he weighing? Maybe like 40 pounds? I, I, if that. I, yeah, like, if I, that. I don't think, would a, would a big cat actually have to drag him though? You'd think a big cat would be able to carry him in his mouth and just prance away. No problem. Well, I just feel like... Yeah, but he would I, dangle, right? Yeah, he, he would, would dangle. dangle. Limbs would dangle. It's not like yeah, he's going to just lift them in the air. Well, I... Like, hop on my be. back, kid. No, Let no, but like, my him, him holding him in his mouth would probably keep him in the air, right? Because he'd probably grab him by the scruff of his neck or... You know what I mean? But there's no blood. You think there's, like, no oh, blood that, on the pants. That's... I agree with you there. And well, there was no most hair big cats don't. Most big cats don't eat their prey right where they kill it. And they don't really, it's like when a big cat attacks, it'll attack from behind. It'll snap down on the back of the neck and snap the spinal cord and then carry it off to wherever they're going to eat it. Well, yeah, no, I totally agree. But I like, I, I don't necessarily think the drag marks on the shoe is a, is a, you know what I mean? A fucking definitive answer. It could have just taken the shoes off. I mean, they look relatively new. Maybe the shoes were uncomfortable and he just took them off. Yeah, maybe. Right. It, I mean, if, dude, kids get butt naked all the time. I know. Like, how, about, kids, like, what about uh, this? Is, this is the kid that was found on top of the mountain. Yeah, the steep incline. So if, he, uh, if Jared, he, so he would have, so he would have to get all the way up there on his own in order for that to be correct. No, no. If if a cat would have carried him off and brought him up the steep hill, right? Yeah, but he would already been dead. So how do you take off his clothes? Well, we don't know if he'd already been dead or not. I guess. I, I, don't know. I guess. 
I guess not. I don't know. Let's be Either honest. Way. Somebody, Ori somebody had been hiking during the, the day because there. they said it gets cold during the night, but they don't really say like during the day it could have been warm and the kids hiking. If the kids moving at a pretty good pace, he probably gets hot and probably just takes his clothes off and just leaves them wherever. Yes. I think that's with a lot of these cases. It's not that the people got or the, 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 maybe the adults, it was paradoxical undressing. I could see that happening, but with like the younger kids where they're like, Oh, none of the, none of the clothes were found. Because, well, they probably took them off as they were walking and then they threw them somewhere. It could have been anywhere. And then after they find the kid, why would you go back and look for the clothes? That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. Like when I look at that, the Jared or little Jared's clothes, like his pants are inside out. Like what happens if he had to go to the bathroom? You know what I mean? Like you see kids that use urinals and stuff like that. They pull all their pants off to go, you know, go to the washroom. Right. It's just it's just weird where the clothes are found, like so high above where he should have been able to get. Okay. I don't know. It, it 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 honestly seems like they've been they were planted. Okay. okay, so let's we just did three real quick. They're all kind of similar. Three young children, all vanished without a trace. Dogs can't. No, can't, no dogs can track them. All search efforts seem in vain until later. They sometimes find stuff and not just later as in like a week or two later, like year, three years later in the one case. All right. Because we've done, because we've done three kids, I got one other kid one that I'll add to the mix and we'll, and then let's discuss them. Cause this one, again, these are all compiled. You can find them in all the missing 411 books uh, by David Politis. Um, Ryan, Ryan Hofliger. He goes missing from his house. Basically what happens is his crib's broken. He's two years old. So his parents put him in with his older sister. He's sleeping against the against the wall and then sister's on the outside so he doesn't roll off the bed. Sister gets up at about 5.30 in the morning to use the bathroom. Uh, Ryan's there. Uh, she comes back. She notes that he's there. Family has, because he has been opening doors, um, they have an alarm on the back door, I think, didn't work for the front door. They have a Doberman pincher who's a little aggressive and barks um, at at the door. Any slight sound gets really kind of aggressive, loud barker. Daughter comes back to bed after going to the bathroom about 5.30. 7.30, they wake up. Uh, baby Ryan's gone. Can't find him. Can't find him anywhere. Uh, they start looking around. Their dog, their Doberman, is just super lethargic, just sitting in a bed. Uh, they called 911. They start a grid pattern. And soon after being dispatched later that day, they find baby Ryan uh, two miles away in a lake underneath the dock and he had drowned. He was in a diaper alone. They could never find his pajamas. Upon, like, you know, obviously the parents have to go and identify it. Uh, one of the things was that he wasn't wearing a, the diaper he was wearing, wasn't the brand that the family buys. And there was no sign of any kind of like abuse of any kind. So that's like a two hour window from him seemingly waking up. And the police were so concerned with the dog and how lethargic the dog was that they thought foul play was an issue right away. So they had the dog tested because they thought it was a hundred percent. They're like, this dog has to be drugged and came back clean, just super docile all of a sudden. So we have this weird thing with like, you know, and it's a connection he makes in the book with uh, dogs not being able to have the sense, right? Just, just go missing without a trace. These weird circumstances around these things. 
So those are all the ones with kids. Now let's, well, that, yeah, that was that one's here? a little different though because that's out of a house. But but th- here's what I'm saying: he makes these connect, he makes these connections across all these things. Okay, right? that, so like I this, get it, I get it. But that one, if yeah. if we were going to all theorize of all the, the same type of thing, like a mountain lion, I don't think a mountain lion yeah. is getting in the house, <laughs> pulling mud. No, different. no, that's the thing, right? But you you have a dog that's, you know what? That's now kind of timid. But no, not drunk. That before is a barker. It wasn't, so it wasn't just, drugged. Wasn't drugged. That they could find. That they could find. Okay, so that's four four young children, vanished without a trace. What are what are some of the theories? Because obviously it's not none of them have ever been solved. It, most of them, are, I think, are just attributed to animal taken by an animal and unexplained disappearance. Right? There's never been any solid proof, but they pretty much like think it's an animal. It's a cougar. It's a bear. It's a coyote. But you never find any blood. And seems to be taken like the uh, in the case of the first kids taken right from his grand like grandparent, a grandpa. Yeah. So his grandpa he's old as hell. He probably fell asleep for five minutes. The kid could have wandered away from the from the camp. And there's a little ravine there, like he could have fallen down the hill, but they couldn't find any like no blood there. So if he was taken by an animal, you think he would have found something? You'd think that's what a lot of people think. You found I- something. In the case of finding blood, I would have to say that you probably wouldn't find blood if you fell down a cliff because it would be at the bottom. No, it's not a cliff, Dan. It's a ravine. It's, it's like, like a, six a feet ravine. down. Yeah, but, but if, they, if they had brought in dogs, obviously dogs are trained to smell blood. Like you, if a human might not find it in the dirt, but a dog should. That's what I'm saying. Well, they're not. Technically, most dogs aren't trained to smell blood. It depends on what type of dogs there are. There are different types of tracking dogs. Okay. There's, well, set, there's okay, the air scent okay, tracking Maester dogs. Daniel, what dogs were they then? If you're gonna, I don't if you're know. Going to get super technical. I'm just theorizing here. That's what I'm. But that's what I'm saying. I don't know what type of dogs they had. Okay. Maybe they brought right. in bloodhounds. Ooh. Bloodhounds. <laughs> bloodhounds are solid trackers most of the time. So there has to be skin cells on the bot on the ground. So, and it also depends because some of these cases that they have, they uh, Politis talks about this one connection that there's, uh, you know. Uh, bad weather conditions, whether it's heavy snows or uh, rains of some type, which can throw off a canine's sense of smell. So was the ra- was the raid on the first night? Because they they started searching the first night. In in the baby Dior case, they, there wasn't the weather was fine. There was no indication. That, that one that seemed the like the weather, weather was, was not so drastically yeah, changed. Same same with uh, baby Jared. Now there was a bit of a storm for uh, Keith Parkins. And I don't know about uh, the other baby who went missing from his house. Okay, so, so it's and it I do here, have to, I do have to say that the average success rate for most effectiveness rates on tracking dogs, and at least in a, a few studies, is like sixty two percent. Just gonna say that. Can you can you cite better can you than cite, me? Can you cite us the, stu- the studies, Dan? Yeah, <laughs> so people can go check themselves. Sure. So um, uh, cadaver dogs are trained to locate, obviously, do- decomposition. Tissue, blood, and bone. So, blood's in there. Yeah, but they have no. to be dead. No, they don't have to be dead. Why do they have to be yep. dead? If it's a cadaver dog, they usually have to be dead. No, they 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 they're looking out for decomposition. Right, they tissue, have to be dead. Blood and bone. Yeah, but they're also they're also looking out for different smells. They don't just have one smell they're looking for. It specifically says here, tissue, blood, and bone. Right, tissue would be like blood. By the time, by the time you're broken bone, like actual exposed bone. No, no. By the time you're decomposed, you're not going to be picking up blood. 
Right. But they also sniff bone, like exposed bone. Like I was saying, with decomposed, there would be bones sticking out somewhere. (laughs) We got to get a dog on the line. All right. Yeah. Dan Dan Stonewall and the dog investigation. So none of us are none of us are dog handlers. So let's just say the dogs failed for whatever reason. They couldn't find any no matter what the tracking dog was, no matter what it's tracking, couldn't find him. What else? So you just think if he was taken by an animal, a dog could have would have at least smelled the presence of the animal if it was that close to camp. You, I don't know. I'm just saying. Let's spitballing. Well, I think about um, there's a there was another story in here about a hunter in the woods, and he um, he tells his wife he's going up to the. I believe it was in Canada. I don't have the name. It's one of the ones I read. Uh, he tells his wife he's going hunting by a lake. He's taking his two dogs. Uh, he never goes anywhere without his two dogs. Sometime five or six days into the trip, uh, the the RCMP or RCMP are notified that there's shots fired up by this lake. They go and they investigate. They find this guy's trailer with the two dogs locked inside, and they can't find him anywhere. He's gone. Uh, his tracks lead down to the lake where he's left his rifle and some of his clothes and he's, they believe he got in the water and drowned. Why he shot at some cars, they have no idea, but he shot at some cars parked down the way and it's theorized that maybe he was shooting at them to get attention to get that call for help um, because he, his wife said he'd never go anywhere with those, those dogs and if he was go, if he was leaving that camper, he would have let the dogs out too. When the police, in the book it says, it doesn't say the police, but the dogs didn't want to leave the trailer even when the police arrived. They just didn't want to get out. Hmm. So, so we have this thing that's not like, like dogs aren't sending it, but they're also like, they're freaked out by something in the woods, right? So that's what freaks me about. Like the ones in these books that freak me out the most are the ones with with dogs where dogs start acting strange. So There was another one with the farm kid who walked off. Uh, walked out the front doors, never seen again. Um, Ryan, it was one of the ones I sent you that I knew was in your book. Um, and the dogs ran away too, uh, the same day. Um, and the dogs returned like six, seven days later to the house. So but they never found the kid. Like there's just all these weird ones with uh, dogs as well. So going into like, what could it, it be? It's, um, you know, David Pol- <laughs> Davis Politis kind of leads you to it, but he never says anything, but he says something's taking people in the woods with a hundred percent effect, effect rate, effective rate. How, well, wait, 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 wait. How is a hundred percent? That's what he says. That's, and I, he said that a hundred percent, but so many people go to the woods and never get taken. So that's a pretty low. Okay. Here, it's because they weren't being the hunted. Points, here are the points that he says the, the, the profile points of the missing 411 cases is basically what, uh, David Polites lays down. Like all these people in his books, all of them or most of them uh, seem to have all of these things in common. They, the disappearances uh, took place near boulder fields. They were near water. There was uh, some type of weather event, whether it was heavy rains or snow or something like that immediately after the person was uh, disappeared. All the people or most of the people seem to have some sort of disability or illness. They had some people like, you know, some of the elderly who were uh, at least one guy was like missing an eye. Uh, some of the kids, he kind of draws a uh, some connection between some of them were either autistic or mildly autistic. The dogs can't track them. Uh, there were fa- some of these people or most of these people are found in areas that were previously searched. Like Andrew said, at least one of them. 
missing clothing is a big one. When these people, when their bodies are recovered, the people who do uh, are recovered by search and rescue or found later down the road, coroners say it's an unknown cause of death. And then they also have this kind of geographic, he says geographical clustering, but that's kind of just like, it could be anything. They all happen in the same area, which it's like, well, okay, don't go to that area, but it's one of the things he says. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with Dan there. He says, you know, they happen. He's he's doing a study on people that go missing in national parks, and then he says, and there's clusters around national parks, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's what you're looking into. Now, so, okay, wait. Here's something because this is something that was sent to, sent to us. I looked into it. I don't think it has a lot of weight to it, but it plays into one a really cool theory. The top image, what you're looking at here, is where all the clusters are of missing 401 yeah. cases. Mm -hmm. And the map below is the cave U.S. cave systems. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> kind of similar. Nothing in the middle of the country. Very, very little. A lot in the east and a lot in the west. And they correlate, some people claim, to cave systems. So this leads me to the theory that these people are taken by, by those fucking monsters from the movie The Descent. Dragged back down into their cave layers. Whatever happens. And then they go dispose of the garbage out the top, top of the mountain or wherever. That's why you always find this stuff tossed away. Way, way far away where no toddler should be able to get. That's one of the theories floating around on Reddit. That's what I stumbled across. Well, and and there's so many there's so many cases. If you look, the ones that are, there's I, again there's he's got seven books. There's hundreds and hundreds of cases. Uh, there's so many cases where like uh, he calls them like end of the line abductions, where it's like a group of people walking and the person who's last just disappears. They and never seen from again. And like you, th I always think of like a movie of like the last person fall behind and like getting snatched up by the velociraptor yeah. or something in the, like in the tall grass going into like a predator, some sort of predator. I, I think we've talked about him before. Bruce Maccabee. He's the UFO physicist. Yeah. I think, I think, I think we've, we've talked about him on other his case name, files. His name the name up. sounded, it, the name sounded so familiar, but his wife, Jan has an encounter that's in one of David, David Polita's books, uh, the hunters, and basically, he says in the book, he talks about a lot of skilled hunters who go missing hunting alone, uh, and a lot are bow hunters. And Jan Maccabee is a bow hunter, and she goes up uh, to her tree blind, and she's sitting in it, and she's on her phone texting, and all of a sudden, the woods go quiet, and like dead quiet, like leaves rustling stops, birds stop chirping, everything goes quiet. And she starts looking around. She's kind of really creeped out and she's just looking and she's thinking, what could be, what could do this? And she figures like there must be some sort of like predator nearby, like a mountain lion or something and everything's spooked on edge. And she says that as she's sitting there, she looks across uh, and like 20 feet across the like little trail, there's something in the trees, 25 feet up. Oh, and she says it's like looking at glass, like blurry glass. She can't see what it is, but it's there and it's moving with purpose and it's slowly moving in these trees. And she says it's like it's she said it was like looking at like a blur and she tried to take a photo of it on her phone. Um, she oh. sat there really creeped out. It eventually just left. 
she went home, tells Bruce what happened. He's like, let me see the photos. So he downloads the photos. And the one photo that she said she took of it is in like a different format on the phone. It's like lower, lower quality. And Bruce Maccabee went and like wanted to know if the phone could even shoot that picture at that low resolution. And it can't, he doesn't know how his wife's like camera did that. So they've been, he fucked around with like magnets and putting magnets and stuff close to the lens to see if that would fuck up the camera and he could get similar, but not the same kind of picture. So he thinks there was some sort of disturbance. Did she hear in the woods? Something that went like over here. Mimicking mimicking human voice. No, but uh, they did say she had never seen the movie predator. And one day she had seen it (laughs) afterward. And she, she told Bruce, that's exactly like what I saw that. Like she's seen it just after, like she went like the next day and like watched predator. No, someone showed it to her because they were like describing like, was it like, like act like the movie Predator? And then she was like, I don't know what that is. And they showed her and she was like, yes, like that. And she said it, it didn't, it wasn't like didn't rush, but it just slowly, it looked, it moved with a purpose. But she said it was like, I couldn't see it was like a haze. And there's other accounts of Hunter seeing kind of stuff like that. So it's interesting that you say these cave systems because many of these stories, you know, you hear of like, Something Dude. in the woods that you can't see. Good thing she didn't raise her <laughs> bow much? at it, or he would have fucking seen her as hostile and blasted her with that yeah. fucking triangle. Well, the only, predator only shows up during unusually hot summers. Well, that's, that's true. Well, he showed some, up of these cases, some of these cases do occur during July and August. A lot of these do occur during Dan, July. Dan, have you never August, seen so. Alien vs. Predator? He's fucking an, in Antarctica. Yeah. No, but they but they come not for that, but they usually come during the hot summers. Like in the first two movies, they're always talking about how and a couple of other comic books are always like when it's really hot, that's when they show up. Well, it's kind of weird that after this incident, she kept insisting that everybody call her Dutch. And whenever she gave handshakes, she grasped firmly on people's forearms. Yeah. Just flexed. Mm. Uh, Rick Sanchez, too many son pencils. of a bitch. Yeah. Um, no, so that's a weird, it just reminded me when you start talking about these cave predators, going into that, that there's something there that we can't see or can't comprehend. If nothing else, Uh, we're writing a good movie right now, man. Okay. You know, the other thing is like, you know what else looks like predator? You know, when in the movie interstellar, when Matthew McConaughey, they're traveling through the wormhole the first time and they look, they see the gravity distortion and they're like that, that might be them. It's it's actually, it also kind of looks like the predator. So if there's some sort of gravity distortion and that's fucking up the cameras too, that would, Hey, that's, that's a cool theory. We got alien, alien, alien predator from the, from the hollow earth coming up and snatching people out of the woods. This sounds terrifying. Yeah. No, thank you. No, Andrew's never coming camping now. Nope. Not a fucking chance. Okay. The thing is, I'm like, I, I eliminate. So I'm like, I don't think a mountain lion's grabbing the kids in some of these cases. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure a lot or it'd be easy prey. Tracks. Yeah, hundred percent. Tracks. But though. I'm saying some of these don't make sense. Like they just don't make sense. Like the the lack of blood, the lack of a scene anywhere. Like if a kid got s- grabbed, like there's gonna be some blood on the trail and search and rescue not finding anything. Well, just seems so surprising to me. If I a- shoot a deer and it bleeds, it leaves blood on the ground. Like you can see that it doesn't just disappear. The thing with like the, that we've touched on right now. So we're talking about kids. We're talking about elderly people we're talking about people with physical disabilities mental disabilities 
We're talking about people who easy targets would most likely be the type of people that were would get lost in the wilderness and have a tragic event happen to them. We're talking about the people that would be most subjective to exposure or falling down a cliff or, or you know what I mean? Like it just we're talking about easy targets here for the most exactly, part. Exactly. Like to put it in a nice way, like it's it's obviously nothing that they're doing to no. themselves, but it these are people that you would imagine like that would end up getting lost in this vast forested areas, right? Or little kids who have no sense of anything. Three years old. Well, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, I like it when he tries to make the point that the kids are, seem disoriented and can't tell about where they've been, but I've never met like a three-year-old that can give me a, like a cogent sentence about what they've done in the last like 30 minutes. <laughs> they get, they'll give you, they give you one line thoughts and then it's on to the next. Yeah, I'm like, what'd you do? What'd you just do? I don't know. I pooped. Where'd you Why go? did you do it? I don't know. Nope. I, like, I, I don't pooped know. my pants. <laughs> yeah. That, if that, it's just like, nope. Like, I don't, I don't think they'd be able to put together exactly where they've been the last, like, especially if they're, you know, dehydrated, uh, maybe suffering from exposure and, and those kinds of things. Well, you, and you wouldn't be able to get, a, a you know, a full narrative about what happened to them when they went missing. Well, and kids are it, way more susceptible to be, to dehydration. Like, 10 times as much as an adult. Right. And like they can compensate so well until they don't. So kids are known to like crash instantly. So. Right. I was like, when I'm thinking about hunters and stuff, I'm, I'm, he said, you know, there's an unusual amount of hunters experienced hunters that get lost in the woods. And I, well, one, that number is going to be because those people are always in the woods. So if something happens to them, you know, there's, there's a better chance of it happening in the woods. But I've had it where you get the thrill of the hunt. You see something, like you see a deer or something, you go to track it, and it just kind of eludes you for a little bit. And you're kind of like, you quickly get lost tracking this thing. And then, you know, a little foggy, a little overcast weather, you're all of a sudden like, what, what fucking way did I come from? I've done yeah, this we're, myself. We're talking about experienced hunters, Braden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I've, I've done this and then I'm, I'm like, because of like, I've had it where I've seen something when my backpack's off and I just leave my backpack too. I like go. And then all of a sudden I'm like, fuck, I don't have my, I don't have my compass. I don't have anything with me. I just have my gun and I'm walking around. I'm like, fuck, nothing looks familiar. And I just walk aimlessly. And that's not what you're supposed to do when you get lost. You're supposed to stay put. And immediately I'm like, why well, fucking no, nah, no, nah, I'm too proud I, for that. I, can and get I think a lot of people are. Why do I picture you walk around the forest like Elmer Fudd? <laughs> you do I wear that same hat except usually my gut's hanging out <laughs> okay let's let's continue I want to talk about there's one there's one other animal that was not mentioned that I didn't really hear mentioned and there's something that's all over North America and Europe and Northern Africa is called the golden eagle which is pretty much the biggest bird of prey in North America and they're known to take like deer fawns and foxes and like large rodents. So I, I wonder in the first case, at least the kid wanders off in the camp. The grandpa falls, falls asleep. Kids wandering out in the open, just get swooped up by a fucking big ass bird. Cause that would be a one quick way to get to the top of a mountain real fast. Yeah, I agree. Um, the problem is, is the, and here's the thing. There's a lo- there's a shit ton of missing cases person cases. There's a lot of missing kids. There's a lot of people go missing at the parks. I'm I'm positive that sh- chances of that hundred uh, percent, but not all of them. Some of them 
like with the lack of blood, you know, the clothes returning to an area that were, was already searched, right? Like what, what breaks a, what breaks the, the crown off of a skull? Well, I, I thought about that too. No, or like the, because a a three-year-old's probably, it's going to be probably almost too heavy for the bird. I would imagine because the bird's probably only 15 pounds. It probably can't really carry much more in his body weight for too long. So maybe the bird picks up the kid, flies for a bit, can't quite hold on and just drops him and just fucking crashes into the. Well, they drop them anyways to kill them, right? Like that's one of their methods of killing something so they can eat it. But like it's, it was three and a half years later, right? This body, who knows how long it's been dead for. Even if the cougar did pick it up, like Dan said, and try to bury it and save it for later or something like that. Like, Who's to say that it's only one animal that got at this kid? It's true. Yeah, but oh yeah, there's tons of scavengers. Me, coyotes yeah, will pick like that stuff up, and there's no DNA. Yeah, on the pants. No, because the kid maybe stripped the clothes off first. Like I don't Doesn't think. Mean, yeah, man, this, the clothes weren't found in the same pile, like right beside where the skull and the tooth were. I thought the I thought the clothes were found with the skull cap and tooth. They were like within a similar vicinity, but they weren't right beside each other, from what I read. But who knows? Either way, there's a, I, I think that could be, it's very plausible. Like why, why not? Just some of these ones, like with baby Dior, I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense, right? He's walking back. There's a time where no one has eyes on him. Sure. He gets swooped up. I think a kid would scream or yell, right? But I, I would, but you don't know, I guess. But the, the thing about this though is, is it, it definitely could be the bird. And it definitely could be somebody falling down a hill and it definitely could be somebody getting murdered by something like the only things tying these things together is the fact that they're fucking camping. You go camping and what do you see? Oh, you see a river. <laughs> you see fucking rocks. You see fucking trees. <laughs> all like, of these things are there when you're camping, when like, you're outdoors. Andrew sees death. That's all he sees. Yeah, like it's, it's all the fucking Everybody same. stay inside. It's the only way to stay safe. Well, the, the thing that this Pletus guy is tying it all together is like, well, you know what? They're by rocks. They're by trees and they're, you know, know what I mean? It's like, that's what you fucking see when you go outdoors. Like, Buddy, he, has a whole, he has chapters and chapters of like other things that go missing. Oh yeah. In, sorry. In fucking berries. My bad. Yeah. Picking berries. Yeah, that's a good one. But no, there's, there's people going missing in their houses, people going missing from vehicles, um, people going missing from like, I guess a lot of it's camping trailers, <laughs> but like, like, there's tons of other ones too that stretch all over. You know, some people say maybe it's a Bigfoot that's doing these things, right? He, he's and a people a very always make light that footed. link because David Politis is he's such a Bigfoot guy, and he says he always just he never says it. He never says it, but I he'll say that. you know something's taking is, woods. Like, yeah, he doesn't say it, the woods. but God, he implies it so hard. Like in the yeah. second documentary, the most recent one is Missing 401, The Hunted or whatever. There's a there's a part of the the film where they go on to talk about um, the Sierra sounds, which is if you haven't heard the Sierra sounds, look it up. Uh, they sell CDs of it, but you can pull it up on YouTube sounds or like, whatever. Sounds like and it's, it's I fall weird, asleep to it. It's this weird. Yeah. Fall asleep listening to it or whatever you want to do. <laughs> um. And it's it's this uh, group of sounds uh, recorded in the Sierra Mountains by uh, by a couple of campers that kind of used to hang out in this area. I suppose it's a real secluded area, and they sat. They're they're really fucking weird. And the theory is is that these are the sounds of Bigfoot 
like communicating and they sound they real sound real funky weird and um they sound almost like language the the people who have studied it they have at least one person who is a a self-proclaimed linguist or you know a follower of many languages and says like yeah this sounds like they're trying to communicate they're trying to form words and things like this and they make all these weird noises and this is in the film the missing 411 film he doesn't really connect it it doesn't have anything to do with any of the cases (laughs) like he doesn't say anything about it like oh the people went missing and they heard these sounds It, it it he doesn't say any of that. He, it's it's just in the movie. It's just in the film. And it says nothing about missing people. Well, and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why is this in here? I think it's kind of like on his end. I think it's kind of smart, though, because like I I feel like if he was outright going ahead and just saying Bigfoot, 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 he wouldn't be able to get these like candid interviews and shit like that with family members and get like law enforcement people to come on and interview because these family members are still holding out hope or you don't even want justice for their kids. So they're going to get the story. But you know what I mean? If this guy comes out being like, yeah, I think Bigfoot took your kid. They're going to be like, go, go, go fuck yourself, man. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? You're fucking nuts. The other issue that he brings forward in this is how difficult it is to get, you know, information on a lot of these missing people's cases because there is really no oversight in the national park service for missing people to have any kind of database or anything. So a lot of this is makes it very difficult. And these national parks uh, operate sometimes they're their own like little world, their, uh, their own agencies and stuff uh, covered in red tape, making it very difficult for anyone to get information or to do something like David Politis is doing and even just map out where people are going missing. Well, there was something like he, he wanted just to get a basic list of all the people that have gone missing in in national parks. Right. And when he approached them and asked them about this, there's a, they said, we don't keep anything like that. And B, if you want us to make something up like that for you, it's going to cost you $34,000. Right. And then he, uh, yeah, he's got a bone to pick with the National Park Service because he, he asked them about, yeah, it said it would cost him $34,000 initially. And then he asked them for, no, he only asked them for the $34,000 was for a list of people who disappeared. And I think Yosemite National Park, just the one park, the one park. Then he wanted a list of all the parks, all the national parks. And they said that would cost $1.4 million uh, when he talked to an (laughs) attorney. Now I'm, I like, People laugh about the amounts, about how much that is. But for me, I'm like, no, that makes sense because they, when he asked, they don't really have like a full on database of all of those. Like Braden was already saying, they don't have a full on database of all the people missing in national parks. There is, there is a database that they built or they tried, they had to build it from the ground up, like starting in like 2006 and it's called like the IMARS, which is the inner, like inner agency. Uh, what is it called? It's the, um, let's see, the Department of Interior Incident Management Analysis and Reporting System, or IMARS. And they had a lot of trouble just putting this together. Um, Like, just putting this together, it costs like $15 million to put, to get, like, they had to go through two contractors. They they had to go through Lockheed Martin, who uh, kind of pretty much, like, you know, fucked everything up, and they said it didn't even work. Then they went through another (laughs) contractor, uh, for like another $9 million. And then when they finally finished it, like the fish and wildlife, uh, fish, uh, fish and game and wildlife agency, like won't even use it. They're like, this is so bad. Like it's all buggy. It doesn't work. Like all the reporting is not even mandatory. So it's not even, it doesn't, we don't use it. Right. So 
So basically, if you ask the National Park Service, like we want a list of all the people who are missing in national parks, some of the national parks, they don't. Yeah, they don't keep the records. The the keeping of the records falls to like the local law enforcement. So and often that's sheriff's like sheriff's offices. And so the sheriffs have to like they have like paperwork and all that stuff with it. So if you want if you asked a person at the National Park Service to do this, it's like, well, then I would have to go out and go talk to every single sheriff department in near in or near those national parks. And then I would have to aggregate all those into like, okay, these people went missing in the national park as opposed to like, they went missing, like not on the national park land. And then, so yeah, it's, it would be a $1.4 million. I think would be, yeah. Okay. If it costs $15 million (laughs) to build a database and for this, and yeah, I think $1.4 million is actually like a, a pretty good price. So pretty much what he's discovered is, there is no joint re- reliable reporting system of missing people across the country. Uh, I mean, there is a reporting thing like we do, like in at least in uh, the U.S., there is like we have uh, the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, NAM U.S. We have that, which is uh, keeps records of just about like it's an aggregate of all the missing person cases. But all this stuff is kind of it's a it's kind of like a clearinghouse for like DNA for missing stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it was put together because, you know, over 600,000 people go missing in the United States every year. Yeah. I read he almost know, not even just in national parks. Yeah. There could be a hundred, right? could be a hundred thousand people missing at any one time. Yeah. 90,000 people like at any time are missing in the U S and 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered each year. And one thousands of those bodies go un- unidentified after one year. That's so crazy. So even if they found like, like the thing is, is like if they found some of these kids disappeared and they never found them, they might've found someone might've found the remains, but they were never able to identify the body. Right. You know? Cause I mean, once scavengers get at it, it's like, okay. (laughs) Now, how do you, how do you, okay, let's tie that back into a theory. Do you think this kind of like database that's it's like crippled it's not working it's very hard expensive uh, maybe go back where they talk about um uh, eisenhower making a deal to allow some human abductees right? yeah could that's this, one, could this that's be one tied the into theories. something like that that's one of the main theories that's sure uh, that's <laughs> you go back okay so that's one of the theories talked about on the, the deep dark realm of reddit that the deal with I think it was the Zeta Reticuli. I think it was called Project Serpo. I'm pretty sure. Serpico. Is it Serpico? Anyways, it was like an exchange program. Pretty much they would like allow them to come here and take citizens. So maybe part of the deal, the theory is, is that they're like, okay, you can take them, but you can't just like, just go take anyone. Like you got to get someone on their own. It was campers. Nobody likes campers. Campers only. And you can only do it in a... National parks. Maybe that's one of the theories. So a lot of a lot of these people, not not necessarily the kids, but like other people, will just go missing without a trace. They'll be found with like crush injuries five miles away from where they went missing. They're like, well, this was a grown man. He's just missing just his, his like just his shoes or just his boots, and he has his. <laughs> they took his shoes. Yeah, the aliens. <laughs> those yeah. aliens want those shoes, man. They want those fresh Jordans. That's the nice real conspiracy. Boots. Really want them fucking shoes. Humans make great shoes and the aliens are coming. They want our pants. They want 
our kids diapers and they want our fucking shoes. Yeah. But that is one of the theories as a project Serpo that they think, well, well maybe some of the, not obviously not all not be all, but maybe some of, some of them are, uh, got those Zeta particular. I come up that. Oh, look one second. Hey, Josh, Hi. the drummer of the band. Poke your head in here. Hey. Oh, is that that? Hey, that's a drummer from hey, a couple of monkeys. A couple of monkeys drummer right here. Uh, sorry to interrupt the podcast. I'm just grabbing my stuff. So you guys, coming late. You're late, by the way. I know. Well, you're gonna be late setting up. No, I'm not. I got to be there at nine fifteen. So, all right. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I love you all. Alien theorist theorizing rocks. Oh yeah. Told, I paid him to say that. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> In the band for one more week. Yeah, he's got one week left in the band, and he's out. <laughs> Anyways, that, um, that's one of the theories that it could uh, obviously it's could be aliens. Imagine that's why we have protected national parks because that was the deal. <laughs> that was, was carved the out these the, carved out the hunting grounds for the aliens, and that's just our national parks. It's really just predator. It actually yeah. is predator. They're like yeah, this will be our hunting ground. We'll hunt Earth's most dangerous game. Once you step into the national park, anything goes. Why is the, why are they taking kids though? Come on, step your game uh, up, Predator. Anything goes. What what don't you understand about anything goes? Well, where's all the spines <laughs> and skinned bodies hanging from trees? Come on, no. Yeah, see? they're in the caves. Yeah, they're in the caves they're in, in the caves their house. Just immense. like we put up skulls, we put up skulls and stuff in our house in like little rugs, bear rugs. They just got skin throwovers. <laughs> just relax on the human caves. skin rug in front They've of the got fireplace. a bunch of kid skin kid skin shoes and stuff Ooh, yeah. Like, you know, yeah but uh no it's it's very interesting let's okay let's get into some issues we have with this now and i kind of pointed out a glaring one for me i, well, is I, that, had, I had to talk about one more theory i have to tell you okay, I have to tell quick, one more thing yeah let's do it one more thing because this this also came up on reddit a lot and some people they people have email us and they ask us talk about the fey folk and I go, uh-huh. who? The fuck is the Fae folk? The fuck are the f- I already talked about that. <laughs> you talked about the Fae folk? I never, that's what, that's what I, when I yelled about it on Facebook, when I was like, it's the Lord Oberon and his lady Titania. They're both the, they're the queen and the king of the Fae folk. Yeah. You didn't say that on the podcast. Oh, on the podcast. No. That was earlier. Oh no. I was like, so no. I'm, but I'm talking about, about the theory of the podcast right? is a lot of times the bodies or the, not the bodies or the whatever they found are by like boulder fields. What I came across is the fairy theory of missing people of missing 411. And I guess this is not like fairies, like fucking Tinkerbell. I guess they're like little, like five to nine inch tall little, or no, it says four to four inches to seven feet tall. So it's a very wide, very wide range. Very wide range of fairies. Seven foot tall Tinkerbell just jacked as hell. They're very. <laughs> I guess what I found on Reddit is they're a very di- diverse group of human-like magical creatures, and a lot of times they uh, make their homes in these rock fields. And maybe that maybe their homes are in the rock fields, but maybe they're also in the caves. <laughs> so one of the theories I came across is, for some reason, these fae folk are fucking with us. I don't know why. Why? Why were they taking little kids? Because that's where you get that's so where turn you get them into the fairy folk. That's where you get the fairy juice. Is like the kids are have all their imagination and stuff, and Suck they let out. them, you know, let them play with the fairies, and they feed off them and their their young imagine imagination energies. Now, one other thing that we didn't talk about is what what what's with 
the berry bush theory. A lot of times they say by berry bushes. Well, okay. okay. Well, that's that's how you know. I thought no. Okay, I thought it was crazy. I thought it was real dumb, but it was not dumb. But when they mentioned the berry picking theory, I was like, okay, wait, because the day before I read about it in the four one one books, or read about it in the missing four one one books, I was watching. I was watching the show Monster Quest. Yes, um, from the History Channel, and and they were talking about they were talking about there was a theory that Sasquatch. Sasquatches are sighted more frequently during berry picking season. There's no data to support that. Nobody has put anything together with that. Uh, somebody should. Somebody should really do that. Well, it makes sense. Um, if if Sasquatch know, is a so flesh, flesh and blood creature. They totally. Go you know what's happening. A Sasquatch is hanging out by that berry bush and he sees a little kid walk by and he's like, hey, buddy, hey, you want to come get some of these berries? And he conks <laughs> the kid on the head and takes him away. Takes him away. <laughs> That's all yeah. it is. Just, just juking, juking through the forest, man. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like tossing <they're>, shoes and <laughs> tossing clothes. Spinning yeah. around trees and stuff. Not just gonna need gone. these. Not going to need this skull cap. <laughs> Off. Oh, uh, that reminded me of <laughs> Temple of Doom, it, the chilled monkey brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A delicacy. Anyways, I, I, I had to throw the fate, the fate folk in there. I, that was the last thing I had for theories. It's a good one. Okay, let's. I mean, it was in it was in Neil Gaiman's Sandman where they took Shakespeare's kid, like they took Hamlet. I was in there about the fairies kidnapping his kid. So I mean, it's not it's not. I mean, it's it's prevalent in like mythologies Mythol. and things yeah. like that that the Fey folk take kids. Like it's you know from you know the tales that we have in and medieval literature and things like that where these. Um, you know, these, these creatures will come out and take children's for some sort of either sinister purpose or, you know, the kind of like the Peter Pan where it's just like, they just want to take the kids just, just because Neverland. For, for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know, they see it as kind of just like fun to kind of have a kid and, and, and run around with it and whatever, but eh, they pull them into their, their fairy realm and they keep them forever. How long to entertain them in their Sylvan courts and whatnot. And yeah, it can happen. Sure. And the other point that I thought about the berries is I'm like, you know what, like bears like berries too. So I'm like a lot of people that, you know, if you're going around there, you're like, you're going to be around other things that also eat berries in the wild. So bears. Yeah. Uh, Let's get into some, let's get, oh yeah, especially fucking grizzlies, man. They're vicious. (laughs) Wouldn't want to fuck with those things. Talk about a fucking way up a mountain. Talk about a real life monster. Fucking grizzly bear. It's a real life. Yeah. Walking death machine yeah like 100 yeah, percent. you're dead fucking monster Real life man. monster you so, would definitely think, see blood though but let's um let's get into some things we don't like about the missing for one um like i said earlier i pointed it out this book makes a lot of connections uh you know it talks about the berry picking and it talks about you know the missing clothes and it talks about uh the bad weather and it makes these connections until it doesn't because it's slowly like if you read the cases and you split the cases up and read them he starts to just connect the cases by small things that don't tie in just like how we had all the kids at the beginning and then we have a final kid who goes missing from his house and you're like well if i read that with the first one are these connected at all not really Mm. But they are in this book loosely tied through all these other things. And it just gets your head wrapped around all these other, um, 
low hanging fruit, if you will. Like you're just like, ah, like, ah, I've made a connection. I've made a connection. And then soon you're making a connection with everything. When really, if you go back, you've had to put all these things together to make like a and B connect. It's like connecting a and Z. You've, you've got all the other letters. They don't touch. It's uh that's one of the issues I had with it. I think, I think a lot of the book, uh, when I was reading it, it's, <laughs> um, he uses a lot of the language of like implication and supposition where oh, it's kind of like, 100%. he doesn't, it's both, you know, it makes it interesting reading, which is, you know, the point of the book is to be interesting reading. Um, but it's also for me, it's frustrating because everything he's like, it'll, he'll write something and he'd be like, these four people went missing in Georgia during these four years. They were all male and they were only males that went missing during these four years. Why are males the only ones missing in Georgia during these four years? Connection? Dun, dun, dun. Like, okay. Yeah, that's where the musical stinger would come in, which happens, which I'm pretty sure happens in the documentaries. Any t- anytime somebody says, I don't know, or that's odd, there's like a little musical stinger. It's like, you know, a little like, dun, dun. It's like, well, why would he take his pants off? I don't know. I wasn't there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like, okay. So it, it's a, it's a strange, it, the book, like I said, um, well, we were talking about it before, but I, I, I see the books as a great bit of advocacy more than a conspiracy theory. I see it as a kind of way to, uh, he, he brought to light the, the whole thing that, the National Park Service, Department of Interior, they don't really have a system in place for an effective kind of search, rescue, recovery, a database, like a linking database between all of these these agencies to be able to effectively kind of catalog these things. Maybe that's you know? on purpose, though. <laughs> I, <laughs> maybe, but like, you know. The way that I I don't know if you've ever had to like work interagency before, like have to work with like another another group like having just have to work with another group of people is difficult having to have like five agencies all work together that have like 5,000 employees each this is also a little bit more difficult I could imagine because just trying to get you three on board sometimes is fucking (laughs) right (laughs) three people's enough you got 5,000 I can only imagine how shit gets fucking misplaced so yeah. And I, I would just say that the the books are, they're interesting cases, of course, like missing, missing persons. They disappeared without a trace. Nobody ever really found them or, you know, found the bodies in any way that they were able to be identified at some point. Yeah. They're really strange. And they, should they have happened? No, some of them actually, you know, shouldn't have happened because of either there was, uh, you know, the poor communication between families and the law enforcement things like that and all of these all of these missing things are tragedies all these people that are gone there were somebody's wife somebody's father somebody's son somebody's daughter and i i can't i do like that the book brings that to the to the table they kind of just be like these people are missing and there's 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 a reason why they shouldn't be missing but when it pushes and then I'm like, OK, if you just wrote a book about missing people, most of the people don't care. Right. Or you're only going to get the people who are like the cold case aficionados or the people who 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 enjoy those things, which is like uh, there are a lot of people, but relatively it's a small group of people. Whereas if you write your book and you also have 
hints of the paranormal in it, mm. then you're going to you're going to hit a bigger audience. Yeah. You know, I think hint. I think that so, makes a lot of sense because reading it like it 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 when you're going through it, there's just enough of that implication where you're like, what is taking people? What is getting these people like it's and because we don't have answers, it could be anything. That's why it's a perfect one to theorize on because there is no right answer. We don't know what happened to these people. There is. I mean, I think if you re- if you really looked at every single case, a lot of them you could probably just chalk up to unfortunate circumstances leading to whatever. But there is some. I only came across one really that I I was like, man, this is just it's really weird. Maybe maybe we'll come back another time where we all bring one that we think is not. Is, yeah, there's tons. There's, like, there's ton. tons in these books that are weird. There is some. There's, there, there is a lot where I could go exposure, got lost exposure. Like there's some like especially when it's in the snow and like people are like split boarding, and the guy goes ahead a little bit, and no tracks leave the split board trail, and then the guy is found five miles in a straight line up another mountain at the top with his skull crushed, and then they call it oh he died as he fell, but like how did he fall up the mountain? Like there's there is some like that that are like these are just really weird, and those are the ones that lead me down the the fucking abduction hole. Is they fucking got this guy, whatever they did with him, and then just dropped him out the ship on the next mountain, and he fucking fell to death. It's like but, us throwing a fish back yeah, into just, the ocean. Ah, get toss him out. But there it is. Yeah. But yeah, a lot, the cases we talked about today, a lot of them, I think. Uh, well, first of all, a lot of them are just human error. You, if you're in the woods, let let's say like as we said. There is monsters in the woods, like legit fucking monsters that will eat you or take you with no, you wouldn't even see them coming. So Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't like, it's a legit monsters out there. They'll eat you with their face, with their face. He aggregates all these points of like these, all these profile points together. And it's all just like a perfect recipe of like, if you want to get lost, yeah, do all these things. These people did all these things, which are things that get you lost and killed. Like they left their group. Yeah. You know, they either they're the first person ahead of them. They were behind them. You know, uh, they were in rocky areas. They were near water. It's all. Yeah. I'm just saying there is some that are just fucking crazy. Who like this experienced group of hikers do it all the time. One guy goes ahead 200 meters and he's gone with no trace or trail. There is some weird stuff, but a lot of times fucking monsters out there. Don't go capping with your kids unless you like time to your chest. <laughs> Let them go wandering around the campsite. Just don't go period. Stay home. Or just Andrew's still, <laughs> Andrew's still alive. Never been camping. He's good. <laughs> so yeah, there's um, proof right there. Andrew's still alive. It, it Never works. been camping. It works. Now Stay away from proof. boulders, water, trees, you're good. Berries. <laughs> avoid all that shit. Yeah. Never eaten a berry in my life. Nope. <laughs> Berry free since eighty seven. Yeah. If I if if berries show up in your fridge, you just go to the edge of the woods and throw them back. No, no I, I'm sorry. I don't even go I don't even go in the woods. <laughs> hmm. So there's lots on four missing four one. Maybe we could uh, reach out to Mister Politis and have him come on tell us a little more about it sometime. But uh, so I don't know if you have it queued up yet. But let's get into some space news. Oh yeah. Well, uh, first things first on space news. Zero auroras. No, you don't say. 
You don't say. <laughs> Absolutely Accurate. zip tonight. So if you're listening to this live, don't look outside. Don't even bother. Not a chance. Uh, we're Double in a solar check for minimum. us, though. Look outside. Just yeah. Take a look. <laughs> I mean, look at some still stars. Look. Why not? Yeah, still look, but you're not going to see any auroras. Which did we want to get into first, Sal? I can't remember the order you wanted these things. Talk about the impossible black hole. NASA just found... So I guess, as it goes, black holes are only supposed to be so big because the size of the sun after its supernovas, they're only supposed to be a a certain size. Yet NASA, I guess, has found one that is double the theoretical size they thought a black hole could be just in our Milky Milky Way alone. So... Uh, slowly rewriting what we know about how powerful black holes can become from a star a certain size. It's pretty crazy. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Double double the size. Uh, I had um, <laughs> intense... Well, this is this one is I thought is going to cause an issue for our future Mars civilization. Uh, Mars intense storms can create towers of dust 80 kilometers high. Oh. Another reason um, not to go camping because they're intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's true. yeah, don't little little piece of fabric between you and the outdoors. Don't, Andrew, don't condone that. Don't condone that. Come on. Hey buddy, I'm a dad now. That You're, shit's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not slapping your knee. Uh, I shouldn't uh, be. So in 2018, the storm that uh, spelled the end of the Opportunity Rover, um, they said it rose as high as 80 kilometers. And by the time it was about the size of Nebraska, and once a storm like this finishes rising and starts to decay, the tower can form a layer of dust 56 kilometers high. It's a lot of dust. A lot of dust. a lot of fucking dust. So that's... That's going to cause some uh, major issues, I imagine, for uh, any kind of Mars civilizations uh, moving forward. And these storms happen can happen like three times a year. Well, I mean, if you, yeah. if you get a shelter well enough sealed, then it shouldn't be a problem. But well, yeah, but if we're going to be if we're going to be dependent on solar and stuff like that, and you have storms depositing fifty six kilometers worth of dust, like going to have some issues. That's a lot of dust. That's like dust to space. It's so high. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Space it's like you dust, can move, yeah, you're moving the whole state of Nebraska across, you know, <laughs> across vast distances, you know, entire yeah, over the country course distances. of three weeks. Yeah, the, art- the article also talks about like how it's still a mystery as to how Mars like got this way. Like they're still not 100% sure because we do have what looks like proof that at one point Mars was very much like earth. We had a wet atmosphere and there's water there and there might've been, you know, possibly there could have been life. Um, it was nuked. And right. And like, how did it get that way? It's fucking nuked, nukes, man. Or meteor or, you know, whatever. Well, I thought, I think the one of the, the fun ones is like, there's a comet that's slipped by and ripped the atmosphere off. I always thought that was pretty cool, but yeah, it could be space nukes. Aliens. Well, that's sure. That's the that's a that's the sci-fi theory that that once the civilization on Mars, kind of like ourselves, the equivalent of United States and Russia back on Mars, got sick of each other, blew the whole planet to smithereens. A few of us escaped to Earth, restarted, and we're trying to repeat it again. Yeah, I mean that could also that could jive with the like why we don't find. You know why we don't find ruins on Mars is because you have all this dust like constantly moving. I mean, you have parts of Egypt which are now 
constantly being excavated because they're covered by sand, you know, hundreds of feet of sand when the, you know, there is, there is a part, there is a point in history where the entire Sphinx was covered in sand. Covered. Even, even a good chunk of hundreds of years, even a good chunk of the pyramids were covered in sand. Right. So that's crazy to think about because imagine that's like, imagine you're having these shifting storms three times a year and I'm like, you know, a couple hundred years, like everything's moved. Imagine we find a pyramid under the sand of Mars. Well, I don't know because they have that LIDAR, but I don't know. I think LIDAR only penetrates through like organic material. I don't think you can actually use it to go through like hundreds of feet of sand. I don't think so, but maybe you can. Maybe, maybe that's that's what we should focus on. Next uh, rover that goes there is equipped with LIDAR and it's just roaming around ground penetrating radar the whole fucking area it's in. Well, if we go on to the next part of Space News about the things we could talk about, I think that would probably kick into the next part. That does. Over 140 new Nazca lines have been discovered and we finally have clues to their use. So they say in the article, but... Right. So there, uh, the way that they found these new Nazca lines, I mean, you can look it up, is it was a, a partnership uh, with IBM and they used actually like a deep learning AI to be able to go over these areas and find these uh, these formations. And some of them are really some of them aren't really that big. I think one of them is like four meters tall by two meters wide. Um some of them are rather small and then so they have some of the other ones which are larger and they're kind of they're they're coming up with hypotheses about what purpose that all these Nazca lines serve. Of course, you know, our favorite one is that it's yeah, aliens, beacons. you know, it's art for the aliens. Yeah, beacons. And you could almost say that because one of the ones like that's kind of the 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 face of this kind of thing is a humanoid figure that they have and it looks like a person with you could say it looks like a person with a helmet on with antennas sticking out of his head and yep some sort of and a stick i don't know what the stick would be but he's got one one of their <laughs> one of the newest ones of the the humanoid glyph i'm like they're like oh it's a humanoid i'm like I was like, that does not look like any kind of humanoid. It's got like tentacle hair yeah. coming down. It's got like a face in its belly. It looks like Guado from It looks Total like that Recall. one, po- that one po- It looks like Guado. No, it looks like that one like Pokemon. Guado. What was that Pokemon? Uh, Tangela or... Tangela. Tangela? Nah, I don't know about Tangela, but... Uh, something like that. The one that it's all made of vines? Yeah, it has, like, it has like fucking that's, vine hair. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like, kind of. The one of them. Check that out. Is it, sure. Oh, yeah. You see that? Yeah, that's the one I was talking about too. Yeah, look at the little face on its belly. Yeah, it's got face on the belly, face on the head. Could be. Yeah. It, it, it might not. Might not be a face. It might be a control panel for his spacesuit. Fucking could be. Anyways, that's. Yeah. I, I love that. It's so cool that we keep like. We keep finding these ancient things that we're like, oh, we must have found everything, and they're like, nope. Here, uh, here in the Yucatan, there's actually it was ten million people, not one million like we thought. That just happened last year with all those new pyramids and structures found. Now you got another 140 Nazca lines. Just a matter of time before we find like a pyramid and fucking under the ice sheet in Greenland or something crazy because it keeps melting every year. Every year there's something cool, something new, something cool. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. only getting better. And like as much as we think there's nothing left to discover, we keep finding quickly shit. Finish it all the time. It's awesome. Yep. Love it. What else we got? What else did I have sent? That's all. That's all I had pulled up. Those four things there. Ah, Said so he had good. a new. Oh, okay. What? There's one more. Oh, Dan's got more. Yeah, go one more. Dan. Uh, yeah, uh, astronomers reveal stunning new image of the interstellar comet that's coming toward us. 
So we've oh. got a new huge comet coming towards us from another. Um, they've determined from its uh, its trajectory, which seems to be strangely hyperbolic or whatever, that it comes from an actual different solar system. And it comes at, um, as it's coming towards us, they've actually measured out. They can tell like how long its tail is. And it, they said that the tail is like 100,000 miles long which is about a dozen earth diameter diameters. So oh, dude. it's huge. This is, you know how a Muamua came a couple of years ago? Yeah. Right. That was the probe. This new one is a civilization coming, following trail. First one came, swooped by, took a bunch of measurements of earth, scanned our satellites, got all our information, kept going, shot it back to their planet. Now, a couple of years later, they're on their way. And it's going to be just like that movie, Fear the Sky. The whole armada is coming. We have to go to fucking interstellar war with an alien predator race. It's over. Call Rico. We're going to need Rico. <laughs> Rico. Yeah. Starship troopers. Here we come. <laughs> I mean, they do. They do know that it's made out of ice, but it could be ice aliens. I don't know. Could be sure. We're going to fight ice aliens. Get your flamethrowers. Get your Tesla flamethrowers. See, Tesla knew about it. Uh, Elon Musk. That's why the ice them. aliens Dude, are coming connected. here. It's all so connected. now we have to, yeah, we now we have to buy his flamethrowers. No wonder he's making bulletproof trucks. But you know who the They're winner in the, the end is? Trucks of Mars. Capitalism. Because those are going to be the first <laughs> responders against the alien invasion. This is perfect. We I think it. we blew a lot of things. We uh, blew a lot. Better fix that glass first, then. Yeah. Well, it's a prototype. Uh, they hit let's it with get a sledgehammer into, beforehand. Got a lot of new patreons. Um, so that's how you support the show. We don't do ads. Uh, and you can go on our Patreon, support us. We have a ton of other features. Some of our new Patreons uh, this month are Robert Reynolds, Scott Pistolka. Oh, and that's all my computer would let me read. <laughs> oh, it just, for some reason, reloaded yeah. as soon as I... Said that. That's oh, okay. Um, I, I got a few. I got a Brett few. Lucas. You got it. There you go. Ryan Murray. Yep. And now, now that's all I got. That won't. It won't give me anymore. Thomas Evan <laughs> Strom. And I think that's it. You said. You say Eddie. You give Eddie. I don't think so. You give Eddie a shout out. Eddie. Eddie. What about Shannon? You give Shannon a shout out. I don't know. Shannon. Chris. Marinen. Uh, we're, we're back to next week, last week, I think, now on the, all those. If we missed your name, let us know, and uh, we'll do our best to conclude on the next oh, one. Oh, yeah, and yeah, w- yeah, we'll do it. We'll do our best. It's good. It's good. It, the app works good for a lot of things and bad for a few things, and sometimes the new patrons sometimes get mixed up in the feed. Yeah. Um, You got a theorite of the week? I'm going to give a theorite to the week to... They're just named Theorite number two. They've been around on our Patreon, Ooh. on our Discord. Very vocal. Great support of the show. And thinking of going up to a top tier pledge. And she wants to be a, a member of the show because she, she's like, it's taken off. And I want to help you guys. So cheers to Theorite number two. No one had Theorite number one, so I'm not so sure why Theorite number two is in the name. But this week's Theorite of the Week. Appreciate your support. This week, I have no, I have no band. I'm not going to play one of my own. If you have a band or have original music, solo artist, whatever, good music's good music. Send it into alientheorists at gmail.com. Put in the subject line, 
music submission. Fuck and that. I have a band. You got a band? Yeah. Let's hear it. I want to hear that fucking purple wizards. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mr. <Maester> Daniel. <laughs> Close okay. up the show. Uh, and as we always say at the end of these things, guys, keep those eyes on the skies. Mr. Daniel, the learner of knowledge, the keeper of secrets, protector of truth, Mr. Daniel. Knowledge, secrets, truth, knowledge, secrets, truth, knowledge, secrets, truth, knowledge, secrets, truth, knowledge, secrets. Mr. Mason, he's a Mason. 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 Mason.